Welcome to Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Priscilla Charles, and I'm joined in studio today by Frank Hannigan. Frank is a partner at Strategy Crowd, a soft venture capital fund. You're very welcome, Frank. Thanks for being with us today. Great to be here. So let's get on to the show. Frank, um, I'd like you to give us uh, to give us and our audience an overview of your current roles. Um, and you're in, you're involved in a lot of different roles and a lot of different activities. It's really interesting. So can you kind of take us through, you know, your roles and, and all the different areas that you're involved in? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the most interesting thing is, is there any way to bring them all together? And I think the, the easiest way is to describe it as my life is working with leaders of SMEs to create trans, uh, transformational growth. Mm-hmm. And so I do that in very many different ways. I, the one way is as a non-exec director, where I bring external perspective to successful companies. And I'm on the board of a number of organizations, including RTE, which is the national broadcaster. Uh, the second thing is I work through global platforms. So with the World Bank, I help them invest in innovative companies in Serbia and also in a different fund in Georgia. And then with the European Bank, I am responsible for a um, advisory practice that focuses on creative industries. So that's film, media, uh, architecture, wow. you name it. So that's that's kind of cool. And that get, gets me out of the country as well as in the country. So yeah, I, I'm just back from Armenia, wow. which is the first kingdom in the world to become Christian. Uh, and I work in Tajikistan, Tunisia, uh, Jordan, uh, Ukraine. I've worked in the past in places like Mongolia and, and Kyrgyzstan and Central Asia. So Fantastic. It's great for that's perspective. Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, so now I'd like you um, to get back to the start, if I may say, and take us through your um, your study. So you hold a bachelor's degree in economics and yes. social studies from Trinity College Dublin. Yeah. So what made you choose this particular field in the first place? I, I thought I would meet a lot of attractive women and get access <laughs> to very inexpensive beer. So they, they were the two biggies. Uh, I, I, don't, I, I didn't really have a clear idea and I think it's incredibly difficult for somebody who's 18 years of age to have this clear path. Yeah, this clear uh, vision of what they want yeah, to do, yeah. It's, it's somebody... Absolutely. There was a, a, the, the late, one of the... the uh, Uh, modern writers said the most unfair thing to do is to tell young people to follow their passions because most people don't have a passion. They don't know yet. And yeah. so I think for me, I did a, a degree which was kind of very general. It was a business degree. Uh, I thought Trinity was a great place. It sounded very cool as a somebody who was uh, 17 or 18 years of age and it is a great college. And so I was very proud to be there and be from Trinity. Uh, I did, um, mostly I focused on the the beer and the women but <laughs> I did a certain amount of study and got through and it was, it was a great start in life sounds like it and um, and now I'd like to talk about your current role at Strategy Crown you're one of four partners yeah. um, in Strategy Crown a soft venture capital fund that applies its skills and resources to help clients grow their businesses so can you tell us a bit about your role more in depth and about the company yeah I, Strategy Crown was something that came about uh myself and there were three other guys who respected each other enjoyed each other's company and the question we asked ourselves was if we came together would we get cooler more exciting work and would we get more kind of certainty about the flow of work and that's that was the real foundation of, of strategy crowd so You know, the idea would be that uh, four very experienced business leaders who wanted to commit themselves to business advisory as a career uh, and, you know, 
we have different personalities. We'd support each other and we'd mentor each other to be better at what we did mm-hmm. and to work together to win business. And that's that's really how we came together. We started off uh, tendering for platform work from people like Enterprise Ireland. Uh, we've now started to work with uh, private equity partners mm-hmm. looking at structuring deals that will transform companies over five to seven years. Yes. So that, that's, that, that's been our journey to date and we're still on the journey. We're still making it up, which is, I think... <laughs> perfectly fine <laughs> that's yeah absolutely you I understand that you um, so you focus on a certain number of criteria to help um, a few companies yeah so does that, how does that work is this like a certain number of companies every year or we we, we touch Uh, directly and through platforms, about 300 to 500 companies a year between the both the four partners. We also have a, 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 we have associates, 20 associates who basically give us uh, breath and allow us to go after bigger projects. And uh, what we focus on is, we, I suppose what we don't do is important. We don't do HR, we don't do finance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we focus on strategy, on innovation and on sales and marketing uh, approach. Mm-hmm. And that's really, so we have no huge interest in cutting costs. What we're fascinated about is how we can uh, allow senior leadership and SMEs to imagine themselves growing and to transform themselves to the next level. And I think uh, it's very hard when you're running an SME to have the perspective and to have the clarity (laughs) of thought to have a really powerful ambition for your company. So we come in and hopefully we help the leaders to do that. I'm sure you do. That's great. Um, So Now, I understand that um, strategy partners have deep knowledge of specific vertical markets. Some of them include creative industries, life sciences, information technology, financial services, as we discussed in agriculture and food. Mm. So, like all those industries are being impacted by new technology, such as artificial intelligence, and they're all changing, you know, with economic factors. So, are there any common threads, in your opinion, that you see when working with these companies and in these industries? I was on a panel last night in UCC, and we, we talked about this and uh, we talked about how can business advisors continue to be relevant given the pace of yeah. uh, 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 IT change and Absolutely. the pace of change in the labour yeah. market for example. And I think the, the words we used were that both for the business advisor and for the SMEs personal uh, integrity and personal uh, resilience are really the important things. So each, you know, if I think back, I was involved at the very start of the internet. Things have changed so profoundly since yes. even then. But in reality, the advice that we provide, the perspective we provide remains constant. Mm-hmm. So our ability uh, to understand change is more important than the change itself. Yes. So AI, uh, like I, I would say, for example, we had a great conversation last night about uh, data science and about companies becoming closer to their customers. But in fact, in many companies, data science is used to preclude them from facing up mm-hmm. to the reality of their customers. Yeah, that's right. And if, if, you, if you're a customer of Ryanair, they've got great data science. They, can, they know how to, how to squeeze your, your profitability. But until quite recently, they didn't have any sense of humanity. And so the experience was often awful, even though on paper it looked as if it was very profitable. So we, uh, one of the conversations last night is how anthropology, understanding humanity, yes. is going to be so much more powerful of course, than yeah. simply understanding data absolutely so I think That's I think that you know the the ability for a uh, business advisor to have a a broad sense of the 
purpose and the the impact companies have on their customers. Of course, yeah. That's really what we get paid for. <laughs> absolutely, so. no, absolutely. And uh, I'm sure they're very helpful and it is very helpful to them. So now um, talking about um, those challenges, really, wh- how would you how would you expand on some of the key challenges of that those organizations are facing. So you talk about like, you know, how some challenges need to focus more on the human aspect of it. Mm. Or, so what have you, what have you um, seen, you know, throughout your career? Uh, so um, is there any particular challenge that you would be able to help with, you know? Yeah, uh, well, uh, there's a, a Nobel laureate talks about the global supply chains being atomized. And the reason they're, you know, large, large companies are failing and, the successful companies in the future, he believes, will tend to be SMEs, is about one word, which is purpose. So uh, there was a guy on the stage last night. He graduated from his master's uh, in 2018. He's mm-hmm. working at Google. Yeah. And you could hear the fire in his voice. He he believed he was working for a company that could provide him with great purpose personally. Mm-hmm. And money was just not enough. Uh, so in a, a constrained labor market, yes. you can see it more clearly. But I think in general, uh, people want the companies they work for to have work to have great purpose. Mm-hmm. And what this Nobel laureate spoke about was the failure of companies to compete unless they were built on passion, which meant you couldn't do a million things. You can't yes. be passionate about producing a, a Volkswagen car. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, Wolfsburg was a huge company that produced cars. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at a company like Volkswagen or Daimler-Benz, they're relatively small companies with thousands of companies in their supply chain. Yes. Each of those companies is passionate about one part of the process of producing a car. And I think that's, you know, that, it defines Mittelstand in Germany. Uh, I think it's it's a... It's a, a a new lens look at at companies. So big is not beautiful. Mm-hmm. Passionate is beautiful, Absolutely, and that's the yeah. the future. That's the key. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Great. Um, so now we're talking about Dublin. We're talking about some companies. Um, when talking about Dublin, we we often think that it's kind of it's become Silicon Valley of Europe, really. Yeah. And and in your opinion, how would you say how influential is the role that Dublin and Ireland plays on the international scale? Well, the fir- first thing going back to what I was just saying is I, I don't think Silicon Valley is a model for Ireland. It's not our soul and it's not something we have the ingredients to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, Silicon Valley is, 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 has erupted because of a number of very specific things, access to capital, yes. fourth, fifth generational capital. That's not something we have access to. And I don't think we're going to produce our own Facebooks. In fact, I think uh, Facebook and Amazon and Netflix are outliers in terms of the future of business. So what I described, uh, I believe the future of Dublin will be a, a place where it attracts talent and capital, but primarily it creates companies that are SMEs. And because of the fact that we're an island nation, we naturally look outwards. And I think those SMEs will become part of many global supply chains. And our, our future is, if you feel like, more resilient because we're not trying to be Silicon Valley. We are trying to be an Irish version, version of Mittelstand in Germany, yes. which is much more powerful. And I'm much more excited about that than I am about uh, the Silicon Docs are great. I, I'm excited about the companies that yes. supply Facebook and supply Google and have emerged 
from the minds of Irish people and Polish people and uh, uh, Indian people who arrived in here, Dublin. Yes. So yeah. I think Dublin is now a, it's it's now a it's got a, it's one of those cities. It's a world city that has its own atmosphere that draws in talent Absolutely. and projects and money. Yes. So. It's great. It's great to be here. It is an exciting. It is an exciting time and exciting uh, place to be. Absolutely. Um, so now I'd like to talk about your background. You have a background in sales initially, from what I understand. So that must certainly help you a lot uh, in the venture capital investment business industry. Well, I think everybody sells. Like that's the thing. If you're the pope, you're selling. If you're if you're the cleaner, you're selling. Uh, so I think. Uh, Understanding that language and, if you like, the understanding the the capacity to create narrative, I think, is important for business in general. Uh, the the one thing I would say is uh, venture capital in Ireland is really quite modest. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, what I would uh, over the last couple of years, one of the interesting things I've seen is the emergence of debt yeah. as a as a weapon for SMEs to start growing. So, uh, I, I interviewed a, a guy who was doing. Um, kind of premium debt for SMEs and I said how, how much are you charging? Seven and a half to eight uh, percent on, on debt over five years. So that seems expensive. And he goes compared to what? I said well, compared to the, the the pillar banks. Yeah. And he said I'm not competing with the pillar banks. I'm competing with venture capital. You know venture capital provides you with the money to to solve a short term problem yes. and holds on to your asset class in the long term. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I, I'll give you five or six million euros to 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 fund your growth, yeah, and once great. you pay me back, I'm gone. And I thought that was quite interesting. So I, I think uh, venture capital uh, has not developed in Ireland as well as it has, for example, on the east or west coast of the, of the states. Mm-hmm. And I think the the nature of financial services. Uh, the disruption is so profound and so so comprehensive that now we have equity and we have debt and we have mixtures of the two. Mm-hmm. So it's never been a better time to be funded as an entrepreneur. And uh, for, for people like like uh, Strategy Crowd, uh, we have a tremendous number of uh, good potential partners that can allow us to play in this space. Absolutely. So. Okay. And and talking about uh, all this investment potential, how would you see the investment industry, if I may say, the landscape changing? Because you're talking, this, you're saying basically, this is the right time, this is the perfect opportunity. So how would you see this in the future? I, I think, I think uh, the, we're, in Ireland, we have produced very few world-class economists, uh, but we produced one guy, Cantillon, who actually created the word entrepreneur as we understand it. Mm. He was born in, in Kerry, he, he made his money in Paris. He was one of the original investors in the Mississippi Company. And he, uh, as well as, as coming up with a lot of the theoretical framework for how money works and using the word entrepreneur as we use it in modern life, he also had this fantastic statement, which was the purpose of a business is to create value, not to amass money. And it's a profound statement of intent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think the investment industry too often has been focused on return and on financial uh, outcomes. Um, I think there are some really smart people now who recognize that this is a life that has meaning as well. So if if they um, if they have the ambition and if they can find the deal flow, they can change Ireland. They can you know, do much more than than make a return for their investors. Yes, and that's you know like every other sector. I think this move from money to purpose is happening and uh, I'm delighted to say in Ireland there are real professionals in the investment uh, community uh, that have that kind of um, 
scale of ambition. They're not simply accountants yeah. uh, doling out cash and hoping to get one in, in ten of the, the deals to, mm-hmm. to succeed. They're driven by passion, which is great. That's yeah, that's actually that's all you want really. And um, so now um, talking about your um, some of your other activities for the past ten years, you've been a mentor and guest lecturer in various third level educational institutes. Um, some of them include Dublin City University, Limerick Institute of Technology, and Cork Institute of Technology. And and as a mentor and guest lecturer, you've been advising individual companies to develop their international businesses. So how important would you say is the role of a mentor um, for those companies looking to go global? Well, I think everybody needs a mentor. So, you know, mentor was a real historical person. He looked after a king's son when the king went off to, to battle and the king said, look after him, yeah. you know, train him for life, you know, uh, be a father to him, be a brother to him. And uh, I think uh, when you consider that the, the role of the mentor goes back as far as ancient Greece, you get a sense that it has uh, a lot of context. Absolutely. Um, so I ha- I need a mentor because I lack perspective in terms of my own ambition. Mm-hmm. And I, I need somebody who's able to say, you know, you're taking drugs, stop it. <laughs> you know, you're, 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 you've lost perspective on, yeah. on your, your ambition. Um, so I, I think uh, providing mentorship to young people uh, is... Uh, a very valid way to spend your time. Uh, I think even very successful business people just need somebody to second second guess them or, yeah. or help them ask the hard questions that allow them to polish the the diamond of their ambition. Yeah, put themselves into perspective, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, um, I think we all do. And talking about um, mentoring companies, um, what, what advice would you give to those organizations who actually want to who want to effectively develop their brands globally? Well, I, I, one of the interesting things from all the travel I've done is um, is you know, how alike we all are. So. Globalization, when I was a kid, seemed like a very bad thing, and it seemed kind of almost um, ill-informed because I imagined that you know there were so many differences between us. Uh, working in places like Mon- Mongolia, you suddenly realize that the you know ninety-five percent of what it is to be human is is shared globally. Uh, there's a thin veneer which is about your your personality, your yeah. family, your culture, and that's very rich. And to to engage in international markets, you do need to invest to understand that. Absolutely. But below that thin veneer, we're all the same. We have the same insecurities, the same hopes. Uh, and I, I think uh, I, I would hope that Irish companies especially uh, would view their ambition in a global context. And they have every right to. The, the, when, when I was young, Ireland was small, America was big, globalization was only for huge corporations. If you buy into the narrative of the atomization of global supply chains, if you buy into the narrative that we are, we're, all, we're all pretty much the same, uh, and then that thin veneer needs to be learned, uh, there's no reason why Irish companies can't be global. And I think Absolutely. global, not necessarily Facebook. So it could be a company with 100 employees in Sandyford that enriches 10 global supply chains. And they're they're part of a, you know, a profundity or a profound way of engaging the customers. But they're just one small part of it. Yeah. And that'd be kind of, that, that's the way I see Irish companies becoming global. Absolutely, yes. And talking about um, uh, the global scale, um, so you're also uh, an RTE uh, board member um, and you also engage with the Institute Management Consultant and Advisors plus the Innovation Fund in Serbia. So that sounds very busy. Um, You mentioned those uh, in the beginning. Can you expand a little bit on those positions? Yeah, I mean, the the key thing is they all kind of consolidated to this, uh, this 
uh, if you like, the role of helping uh, leaders to create transformational growth. So I think my, my role on RTE's board, um, we have fabulous people who understand culture in a much more detailed and, and rich way than I do. I, I suppose my role is to look at how the organisation can perform commercially. And so uh, I have, you know, one of my big projects was to ensure that the archives were properly financed. And uh, this board's ambition is that the archives will be fully digitised and available free to any Irish person mm-hmm. wherever they live in the world to be able to explore their, their sense of Irishness. Fantastic, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I think um, while the work is done by the uh, management team, I think uh, advisors and board members can help frame the ambition and support uh, the, the leadership teams to do to do transformation. I think incremental growth is is cool that's stuff that accountants do i think people like strategy crowd people like like me are interested in the transformation the log you know, the huge growth and the yeah, huge yeah, change yeah. as opposed to larger scale yes transactional yes. Uh, movements and size so that's that's the stuff i love rt incredibly powerful incredibly valuable to ireland it reflects the country and um, i think if it, if it ever if it ever died it would be like the bbc would leave our culture bereft of many uh, important kind of strengths. So. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, thanks very much. And um, and talking about um, we're talking about technologies earlier on and and the role of um, of Ireland. Um, so, given your extensive experience, um, do you see any trends or disruptive technologies that you know that on the horizon in the next few years? Well, I'm going to say something kind of that's not going to fit <laughs> with, the, with the question. I actually think the consumer is disrupting. And uh, oh, you know, when I was a kid, the, the feeling was sales process was pretty much in the in the hands of the person selling. Uh, McKinsey have done a very good re, uh, research piece that says that pretty much 80% of the sales process is now cons- controlled by the consumer. Yes. They do... Uh, pre-purchase research, that research decides if your company is going to be shortlisted. Mm-hmm. And if you're not shortlisted, you're not going to get the deal. So the that that kind of has changed everything. Uh, I think, for example, I talked recently about food. Um, I don't think food will be decided by Nestle or uh, the big corporations. I think uh, consumers in Western um, mature economies mm-hmm. are walking away from processed food. Yes. Uh, and I think that the future will be uh, largely uh, smaller uh, SME food producers mm-hmm. who are focused on quality and taste and uh being genuine so I'm not sure how that's going to work but I'm absolutely guaranteeing you that Nestle buying these small companies yes. is not the is not a strategy that's going to win I think you, you probably need to actually be really humble and get beyond the data science mm-hmm. and actually talk to the customer about what they want and I think Nestle I'm not sorry not picking on Nestle yes I think it's because you're in front of me I'm thinking of Nestle but <laughs> I think they, their their traditional mode of change the incremental change is not going to work for them they need to be corporations almost reinvent themselves in a way that reflects the 
the power that the customer has now. And the same goes for cars. Mm-hmm. I think uh, people are not, you know, in America, people have walked away from uh, gas guzzlers. Yes. That wasn't... Habits are changing for sure. Yeah, yeah but yeah. The, you can you can see that that, ha- that that changed from the consumer side. It didn't, it wasn't because GE or Ford said, whoa, we want yes. to make a, a more sustainable planet. It's because customers said, no more. No more, yes. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. No, that totally makes sense. And... Um, Would you have any advice for our listeners that are already operating in a number of different countries, speaking of on, of the global scale, languages and cultures, and, and also any advice that you'd give to an, an organization who's looking to expand to those uh, new markets, international markets? I think I think it, the, the first thing is be brave. I think uh, believe that you can do it. I think the second thing is invest time to understand your uh, the countries you're going for. And, you know, perhaps some, company, some companies... Um, have a naive view of how, how difficult it is to open a new marketplace. So working with DIT on the international sales program, mm-hmm. often our job is to rein in uh, SMEs and say, you know, y- your plan to enter 17 markets is yeah. so brave, so ambitious, but it's it's it means you're only Too giving risky. a 17th of your time yes. to each of these markets. Why not win one, you know, win Westphalia? And once you've done that, take on uh, the next part of Germany, the next part of Germany, and eventually go for France. So I, I think um, focus is incredibly important. Being realistic about you know what it is to run a company. Uh, running a company is desperately simple. You're managing three things. You're managing time, scarce resources, and your ability to consume risk. So if you understand that all those things are constrained, you need to then focus on what's the most you can achieve with what you got a, as a set of ingredients. Yes. Great, fantastic. Thanks very much. And finally, um, is there any other project that you'd be working on that you'd like to share with our audience today? Well. That's a tough question because <laughs> you're <laughs> involved in so many. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> what I can tell you is, uh, yeah, there are some really cool things. I'm not going to tell you about them because <laughs> they're all kind of crazy and muddled up my head right now. But uh, what, I, what I can tell you is we're at the start of the year. Every year I try and retire some of the work I do. So every year my ambition is to remove from my workflow um, work where I'm not adding huge value and replace with higher value stuff. Uh, and that, that's that's pretty much from Lean, Kaizen, continuous improvement. So I, I'm always thinking about one thing, uh, and that is how can I, with the ingredients I have to offer, how can I have more impact than I had last year? Yes. And, you know, what should I be researching this year for 10 years' time? Um, and that's that's Some how I live my life. So I'm, I always have new projects. I'm, I'm always crazy ambitious. That's a good motto. <laughs> That's yeah. fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Frank. It was lovely to have you today on the show and so interesting. Um, such such good tips, advice, if I may say, sorry. Um, so that's today. Uh, that's the end of today's show with Frank Hannigan, a partner at Strategy Crown, the soft venture capital fund. Please make sure um, to tune in for our next Fix to Talk show with more interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. 